The budget is out and you are paying for a lot of crazy things. Muslims are concerned in Canada about rising white supremacy movement. That's understandable. I have similar concerns. And environmental movement is pushing harder for the end of children. But it's actually nothing new. So I was away last week for a March break and we're back today with some pretty crazy stories. But first, I want to make sure everybody hears today's episode from our podcast, Gifts from God. Today is World Down Syndrome Day and on, and on our podcast, Gifts from God, we have the story of adopting a child from an orphanage um, internationally who has Down Syndrome. So please go to our podcast, Gifts from God, subscribe, and then listen to the story. And make sure, by the way, that you have your tissues ready. Also, if you're listening to this podcast or our podcast, Gifts from God, please, could you hit the five stars and also leave a review? That actually helps out a lot. And one more thing before we dive in to today's stories, we've been reading through Revelation together. And if you want to catch up with us, um, those videos are on our website. They're also up on YouTube. I'm also going to start doing parts of these podcasts on YouTube. Uh, so you can find me at Loralee Siemens. So you can check that out on YouTube. I should have a video up later today that covers part of what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, so let's start with this crazy, crazy budget that we have. So a quick update on the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Uh, Anne McCollin, who was, by the way, the Deputy Prime Minister under the Liberal government and currently is fundraising for the Liberal Party and also works for the Trudeau Foundation, is the person who Trudeau has appointed to be the person to investigate the SNC-Lavalin scandal. So the person investigating the SNC-Lavalin scandal used to be the Liberal Deputy Prime Minister, currently fundraises for the Liberal Party and currently works for the Trudeau Foundation. Also, just as a side note, when Paul Martin met with the SNC-Lavalin about their contract in Libya, which is what the whole thing is about, she was actually the Deputy Prime Minister at the time. So I'm sure that there will be no bias at all in this investigation. On top of that, the Justice Committee has um, actually had their investigation completely shut down, and they were supposed to write a written report. Um, the Justice, Justice Committee was supposed to write a written report, but that's also been shut down as well. And... Michael Warnick, who is the Privy Council, has resigned. So I'm pretty sure we will have weekly updates on this. Um, this week, actually, the entire the entire Conservative Party walked out of the House in protest because they want a real investigation. So to make sure everyone forgets about this, we have a new budget. And Trudeau is spending $41 billion, billion with a B, to make sure you forget about this scandal. Here are a few of the things, this $41 budget, $41 billion budget. First of all, and I'm not going to say that the government is going to pay for this because 
the government actually doesn't pay for anything, just so you can be reminded of that. The taxpayer pays for everything. So I'm paying for this and you are paying for this. So we're going to say this is what you are going to be buying, forced to buy. First of all, you will have to give money to rich people who want to buy expensive cars. So the government is going to spend $130 million over five years to put in recharging and refueling stations for electric and hydrogen vehicles. But they're also, on top of that, going to be offering $300 million to give people um, up to $5,000 if they are buying a electric or fuel vehicle. So these vehicles can go up to $45,000. So people who have enough money to spend $45,000 on the vehicle, the government's going to give them $5,000, just so you know. Um, Transport Canada is also going to get $5 million over three years uh, to work with the auto manufacturers to convince them to set up uh, voluntary sales for zero emission vehicles. So just to sum up what that means, you are going to pay for their car. So while you're driving around in your beat up car that needed to be replaced years ago, you can feel really good about yourself because your tax dollars are hard at work helping that rich guy buy his $45,000 car. And also we're gonna give money to car companies to convince them to make more electric cars that nobody wants to buy. Because if we actually wanted to buy them, then they would already be making them and we would already be buying them. Over a billion dollars, a billion dollars, is going to go to renovate community buildings so that they're more energy efficient. So if you were at your local community center and looking around at some of the things your local community center might need, I'm sure what you were thinking is what it really needs is like a billion dollars of renovations to make it more energy efficient. Your tax dollars are going to pay for 25% of the salary for journalists, but not all journalists, don't worry. Don't worry, not all of them. Only the ones the government says are qualified. So good luck getting any, any mainstream news that isn't biased because they all officially work for the liberals and you are paying 25% of their salary. You will also be paying $2 billion to other countries that is marked as foreign aid. This is, by the way, including Gaza, where terrorist families are paid very well if they kill Jews. It's basically the only way to make money there now. And you, as a Canadian taxpayer, are paying for that. Your money is used to reward those who go out and purposely kill Jews. $1.18 billion of your dollars is going to go to this deal uh, with all the people crossing the borders illegally. So we had this big problem with all these people crossing the border illegally, and the government's going to put $1.18 billion towards fixing that. But by fixing it, I mean letting them all in and giving them stuff that you paid for. $1.25 billion of your money is going to help people buy a home. So you are paying for other people's down payments on their home. They're only, they only have to pay back these down payments once they sell their house. So if you're struggling to pay your mortgage or your rent, you are also paying for your neighbor's down payment. That's you. You're paying for that. Here's an interesting quote. This is from our budget. And I'm sorry for this. This is, this is quoting from the budget. 
ovaries and embryos now have the same GST exempt status as sperm. Okay, what in the world is that supposed to mean? Other than clearly trying and failing, by the way, to get women on board, this is degrading to my intelligence. All right, so our debt as of yesterday was $636 billion, $605 million, $897,299.98. So let's listen again. This is how much we owe as a country. $636 billion, $605 million, $897,299.98. So there's absolutely no way we can dig out of that. And next week, I'm going to dig into uh, country debt, the history of it, and the concerns. But right now, that's our budget. We're paying for a whole whack of stuff that is absolutely stupid. We're going into massive debt, and our taxes are crazy high already. So that is why you need to get out and vote on October and get rid of the liberals. All right. Last week, I talked about the story of this young woman, and a bunch of young women actually, who've decided they're not going to have children in order to save the planet. Well, this week, there's an article that came out in the Times with the headline. This is the headline, and read it to you here. Kids are cute, but they're not really eco-friendly. So the article compares kids to other non-eco-friendly products. And here are ways you can save the planet. Um, how to cut out your CO2. So per year, you can save the planet 0.8 tons if you stop eating meat. Uh, 0.1 ton if you use these green light bulbs. 0.3 if you wash your clothes in cold water. 2.4 if you just walk everywhere. 2.8 if you stop flying. And 58.6 if you don't have that kid you want. So it's not even close. We have 0 0.1, 0 0.3, 2.4, 2.8, 58.6. So the article is clearly saying kids are the problem. And this isn't new to me. I actually used to be an environmentalist. I was even a vegetarian. But once I started to see the anti-human thread in all the reports, I became really concerned. I remember as a kid, I went to a zoo and there was a box with this door on it. And the box had a sign and it said, what animal is the biggest threat to our world? So when I opened it up to look inside for the answer, I found a mirror. And this was a moment I knew, I knew something was wrong. But as a kid, I couldn't explain why. I just knew in my gut that was not a message from God. It would be over a decade before I came to realize the impact of this display. I was reading an article um, about the World Wildlife Fund. And I saw a quote by the president and it said, if I was reincarnated, I would wish to return as a killer virus so I could lower human population levels. This was extremely shocking for me and I wanted to know more about this. So I began reading some other things and I read John Davis, who was an editor of something called Earth First. And he said, human beings as a species have no more value than a slug. And I suspect that eradication of smallpox was actually wrong. So human beings as a species, they're not valuable, no more value than just a slug. And we should not have eradicated smallpox because it would have killed off more people. 
Once I began looking closer at this book, The Population Bomb by Paul, um, I don't know how to say his last name, Ehrlich, but I knew that the environmental movement was evil and from Satan. So um, this guy, he doesn't believe anybody has the right to have three children. One child, maybe two, definitely not three children. And he also states that what is the problem right now? What's stopping environmentalists from fixing this huge population problem? He had one thing stopping environmentalists from fixing the population problem. Religion. I'm going to say Christianity was having a pretty big part of stopping him from killing off all the people. This week I stumbled on an older article that was so shocking, even I had a really hard time digesting it. It was Sunday, March 24th, 2009. So it was 10 years ago this week, 10 years ago this week, an article was posted in the London Times. And the article uh, went pretty much unnoticed, even though it might have possibly been the biggest story in my lifetime. And the article is titled Billionaire Club in bid to curb overpopulation. So we're going to tell this story today. It's early May. You're working today. You work for Sir Paul Nurse at his home, and it's a great job. Paul is president of Rockefeller University, and serving in his home is both interesting and also well-paying. It's a busy day. You're going to be serving dinner, a dinner he's planned. You're not told the guest list, and you've been warned you're not to speak of this meeting. Bill Gates is in the house today. You hear him talking to Sir Paul. You're good at being in the room and not being noticed. It's your job. Prepare for the guests without being noticed. Mr. Gates is thanking Paul for the use of his home, and this is a meeting Mr. Gates has planned. The guests begin to arrive, and with each guest, you are a little more starstruck. Oprah Winfrey arrives. You have a hard time being professional. She's beautiful and full of energy, just as you imagined. Then David Rockefeller arrives, Ted Turner, Warren Buffett, George Soros, and then Michael Bloomberg. The wealth represented in this room is overwhelming to you. You serve drinks to each of your guests while avoiding eye contact with them. And you're right, the wealth in the room is overwhelming. The combined wealth is $120 billion. Once you've filled the glasses and handed the hors d'oeuvres, you head for the dining room for a final check. The guests will be having dinner in exactly one hour and 45 minutes. You're not allowed into the room while the guests speak, but you've seen the agenda. Each guest will have 15 minutes exactly to speak. They will use this time to tell the group what they believe is the most pressing problem in the world. During this time, last-minute details are being finished in the kitchen. Once the guests arrive in the dining room, you and your team begin handing out the first plates of food. Your job is to stand quietly on the edge of the room, watching the guests, and ready to get them anything they may need. This is a working dinner. Mr. Gates stands and addresses the group. Each of the causes the group has presented is dire. But we must have an umbrella cause, one we can be united on, one cause that, if addressed, will solve the problems addressed in all of these causes. A shiver goes up your spine, and you feel privileged to be here for this moment. This is what humanity is all about. A group of the most wealthy people wanting to use their money to solve world problems. 
you might be witnessing the greatest moment in your lifetime. Bill Gates has an answer for the umbrella cause. Population control. As the dinner progresses and more plates appear with more extravagant food prepared and served on glamorous plates, the shiver in your spine moves from excitement to fear. This group of seven elitists have made a decision. They will cap the world's population at 8.3. Once that number is picked, they begin to work at creating ways to make sure that cap will be implemented. But you are asked to leave. Dinner is finished and they thank you for your service. You're alone in the room now and you don't know what happens next. But you have just witnessed a group of unelected billionaires deciding how many people get to live. You have questions. Who is going to die? What will be the criteria for choosing who dies? And how will they die? January 23rd, 2019, New York lights up its World Trade Center memorial spiral in pink. Why? They've just allowed abortion to be legal all the way up until birth. While many in America are horrified by this, a few weeks later, the Senate fails to support a bill that will stop the killing of babies who survive abortion. In 2011, we were at 7 billion. Today, we are at 7.7 billion. We're getting pretty close to the red line. You know the one those billionaires set, 8.3? What were those plans that happened in that room? And what else is in store for us? This isn't a new idea. This has been Satan's plan all along. In the garden, Satan lied to mankind, believing that lie would... In the garden, Satan lied to mankind. And believing that lie brought death into the world. The first world religion was the Tower of Babel under Nimrod. And after death, he was worshipped as a sun god and worshipped of Baal. This worship wrapped around the killing of babies by cooking them alive in the arms of Baal statues. Throughout the year, Satan has had two plans. One, turn the hearts of people away from the God who made them and loves them. And two, convince humans to kill each other. Environmentalism has been the tool for centuries. Yes, I'm saying centuries. And it's not a new religion. And yes, environmentalism is a religion. In fact, this week, the National Post had a story called Ancient Civilizations Sacrificed More Than 100 of Their Children to Stop Bad Weather, Say, Archaeologists. The article talked about a discovery in Peru where bodies of children were found. The children ranged in ages from 5 to 14. The sacrifices dated back to the 1400s. The children had been killed by having their chests cut open. We look at this and wonder how could anyone think cutting their children's chests open would implement the weather? And I can't even for a moment let myself imagine what the children were going through as they watched the sacrifices that happened before them. The horror of this story is just beyond words. But fast forward six centuries and we're slicing open the chest of babies, tearing them apart limb by limb. And why? Environmentally responsibility. And why do we do that? Why do we need to be environmentally responsible? Well, look at the weather. You can't see there's a problem that needs drastic action. You're nothing but a weather denier then. No, nothing has changed. We're doing the same thing. Remember what that article said? Kids are cute, but they're not eco-friendly. This is a story we need to be concerned about and something you need to be talking to your children about. 
You need to make sure that we are not part of this religious aspect of environmentalism. The last story we're going to talk about is, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this, but I am going to. Last week was a horrific attack against Muslims in a mosque. And I want to start by being extremely clear. One, it is Satan's mission to convince us to kill each other. And this is just a perfect example of that. Every single thing that led to those killings was planted by Satan. And while I've not watched any of the videos or looked at any of the pictures or read any of his writings, I have heard from people who have. And the one story that got just drilled into my head was apparently one person was laying on the ground pleading for his life. And the killer just stood for a bit and just letting him plead and then shot him, just walked away. What kind of evil has entered a heart to be able to do that? This week, there, I saw a picture of a little boy who was shot and he'd been in the hospital, but he died. And the numbers of dead are rising. Last time I checked, it was 49, but it probably will still rise. I read one report that this particular mosque had been the home mosque of some radical Islamists who had been part of terrorist attacks. And the truth is, I don't actually care either way. Even if that is true, it doesn't even remotely come close to justifying what happened. And here in Canada, Muslims are voicing concerns. Not that every single white person might do the same thing, but that the ideology this man had might be here in Canada. And I can understand that fear. And I'm going to explain why in a minute. The other point I wanted to say is that history shows us that the ideology of white supremacy is both evil and fast spreading. We defeated it in the Western world and we cannot allow its ugly little head to reappear. And I hope I'm making myself crystal clear here. The killing was evil. The killing was in no way justified. And I do understand why Canadian Muslims might have concerns. And also, historically, white supremacy has was hard to defeat and we need to stop it before it grows. And so I'm hoping that I'm being very clear. I have a few other thoughts. These ones are not as politically correct, but they are still correct. First, when a Muslim commits a terrorist attack in the name of Islam, we are very quick to hear hashtag not on Muslims. The attacker is quickly labeled mentally disturbed, even if there are zero medical records confirming any diagnosis. Now, both of these things are true. Of course, it's not the fault of all Muslims. Anyone who thinks that is just beyond stupid, and I've never actually met a person who thinks that. The Muslim working at Tim Hortons down the road is in no way responsible for the terrorist attacks that happened on Monday. Or the 453 Islamic terrorist attacks that have happened so far in 2019. Or the 1,956 people who have died at the hands of Islamists this year in 2019. The Muslim down the road at Tim Hortons is not responsible for any of that. And you have to have some kind of a mental breakdown to get in a car and drive through car crowds or walk down a street and just shoot people. So yes, both of those things are true. Mentally deranged and not all Muslims. However, with this shooting, neither of those things were said. For some reason, it was Trump's fault or Candace Owens' fault or Chelsea Clinton's fault or any person who's ever had a concern about Islam. In fact, one article in Slate actually said every single white person in Australia was responsible for the shooting at the mark. 
at the mosque. That was actually the headline. This is beyond stupid. And what about mental illness? It was not mental illness. No, no, it was right-wing politics. Now, this is just as stupid as me blaming the Muslim I'm sitting next to for the terrorist attack. It's stupid, it's ignorant, and it's why we can't have conversations. Okay, the second thing. That's not politically correct, but it's a reaction that I had. I do understand why Muslims are afraid because I feel it also. I'm not afraid of any one person. I'm afraid of an ideology that is behind the killing of Christians. I understand when an ideology is growing in your country and you can see around the world that that ideology is behind the killing of hundreds of thousands of Christians. Let me pause here and explain how serious this problem is. We're going to tell another story. It's a regular day. A nice breeze is blowing, cooling down the air. You're visiting with your friends. Then everything changes. It's so sudden. A scream. The sound of fear. The sound of people running. A large group of men have just marched into your town. And you know what this means. People are running. They are leaving quickly. This has happened to many other towns in your country. And you know, by the end of the day, your town will be no more. The houses will be burned to the ground. The people will have fled. Those who don't make it out. But at this moment, you can think of only one thing. You have two small children at home with your husband. You must get to them. You don't run in the same direction as the crowd. They will escape. You will not. You've never run so fast, although you feel like you're moving in slow motion. And you can see your home, but it's too late. The Muslim men are in your home. You feel someone grab your arm and throw you forward, and soon men are holding you down. They bring your husband out in front of you. One grabs your head and forces you to watch. Your eyes lock with your husband's eyes. The fear in his eyes will be permanently seared into your memory. You are forced to watch as he is slowly killed with machetes. As his body is on the ground, you see men taking your children. They are now slaves. You know what they're going to do with your seven-year-old daughter. And you fear your five-year-old son will be turned into a child soldier. The men leave you. Your home is burned along with the rest of the houses in your village. But you're on a mission. You will find your children. You won't let your son be a child soldier or your daughter a sex slave. You bury your husband and then begin searching for your children. But you will do this alone because the world doesn't care. No media will report your story. No political parties or, or politicians will mention what's happened. You're a black Christian woman in a predominantly Muslim nation. Literally no one cares what happens to you. While walking and searching and praying, you're captured by Muslims. This is surprisingly a gift from God because you're taken to a camp and there you find your children. You're taken to a detention center. Your hands and feet are tied. You're beaten. You know everything will end if you just deny Jesus Christ and convert to Islam. But you keep your faith on the author and finisher of your faith. You spend three years being tortured. And in a miracle, you escape with your kids, now eight and eleven. But your story is ignored. The world doesn't care. Christians around the world ignore what has happened to you. This is the true story of Catherine Ibram. Say her name, Catherine Ibram, because she's a real person, a follower of Jesus Christ. Her story is just one of many. Last year, 4,136 Christians were killed simply because they were Christians. Many, many more were enslaved. In fact, since the shooting at the mosque, 
since that has happened, Muslims bombed a church in the Philippines, two different churches in the Philippines. Philippines. They killed 20 and seriously injured dozens more. In a town in the Congo, Muslims attacked a Christian village, killed six people, two men, three women, and a nine-year-old child. 450 people had to flee the village to escape. Like I said before, this year alone, 2019, Islamic terrorists have killed 1,956 people. Today is the worst time in church history for Christian persecution. Our history, the Christian history, has had many ages of persecution, especially in the first 300 years of Christianity. But never in our history have we had the number of deaths that we do now. In just the last few weeks, more than 150 Christians have been killed in Nigeria alone. On Sunday, 75 Christian bodies were burned in a mass grave. Christians in Nigeria are killed by machete attacks, burned alive, or made into slaves and sold in open slave markets. Converting to Christianity is published is punished by beheading or hangings in many Muslim countries. Christians in China are being held in shipping containers with no ventilation. Churches are being forcibly demolished. Christians in North Korea are hung from crosses while being burned to death or run over by steamrollers or thrown off bridges. In fact, since the 1950s, so in my father's lifetime, more than 200,000 Christians have been killed in North Korea alone. So when Christians say they have concerns about ideology that is being spread in North America, we have reason for that fear. And both Islam and communism have historically been bad for Christianity. So to the Muslim community, we understand your fear. And when you don't know how to tell the difference between someone who opposes your ideology and someone who might kill you, I understand that that is scary. What we ask is that you understand our fear as well. And when we voice our fears, please, we're not bigots, we're not ignorant. And calling us that isn't helpful. Here's an uncomfortable truth. In all of history, there are some religions that have not been able to live peacefully together. I don't know of a single predominantly Muslim nation where Christians and Jews can live and worship in peace. Israel is the only predominantly Jewish nation and both Christians and Muslims can live and worship freely there. They can even run for political office. Every predominantly Christian nation, both Jews and Muslims can live and worship freely. But once a country is predominantly Muslim, Jews are expelled or killed, and Christians can live there but under extremely heavy restrictions. This is just an uncomfortable truth. So as a Christian with Jewish friends, I have concerns about this. And having these concerns doesn't mean I'm racist or Islamophobic. And it's not a phobia if the threat is real. Okay, let me give you an example. If you're afraid of standing on a bridge because you're afraid of heights, that's a phobia. If you're afraid of being thrown off a bridge, that's legitimate. And most phobias have a legitimate fear if you're put into the right circumstances. So if you see a Muslim and you freak out and think you're going to die, that's a phobia and you should get help for that. Go see a psychiatrist. But if you see a growing ideology that you know historically and currently will kill you once it becomes a dominant ideology, that's not a phobia. That's real. Just like we need to be 
like worried about this growing ideology of white supremacy, we also need to be concerned about this other ideology. Both of them are not good. And there are way, way more people in Canada who fall under one of those ideologies. And just so you know, I've never in my 41 years actually met in person a white supremacist. Okay, today we've talked a lot about hate. On social media, especially Twitter and oh, and the comment sections on YouTube, whew, there's been a lot of hate and a lot of hate towards Muslim people. And I've read things calling for more deaths or glad for the deaths or saying that the killings were justified. I've seen the callings for right-wing people to be killed. So many people just demanding the death of their fellow human beings. This seems to be the new thing to do. Demand death. It's kind of scary. We should not want people to die. And we should not want a war. We should not want tragedy. We should want peace. Here's another uncomfortable truth. Justice. Justice demands death. The penalty for sin is death. That's the uncomfortable truth. But here is a comfortable truth. The good news. The death already happened. Justice already was served. The penalty already was paid. But justice wasn't served on the guilty, but on the only innocent person who has ever walked this earth, Jesus Christ. You see, we all know deep down that our world needs help, that we are depraved, and that the only possible justice is death. We know it. But God in his love says he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants no one to perish. That's why God himself came to earth. Jesus Christ is God. And when he died, his blood was the justice served. And when he rose again, he proved he had the power to forgive our sins. That's actually the message of Christianity. That's why no Christian can call for or even want the death of Muslims. Because one... Our God is not willing that any should perish. And two, we know we deserve death ourselves. And it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are free. And what we want is not the blood of other people. What we want is for those people to hear and receive God's love. This is the difference Christianity has. Yes, the Bible says sin must be punished, but the Bible says that punishment happened already at the cross. And forgiveness is now available for everyone who believes. Everyone. Man, woman, boy, girl, black, white, brown, capitalist, socialist, communist, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist. Everyone. God's arms are open to everyone. You see, God is both loving and just. Both merciful and just. And his love is his mercy, and his justice is all found at the cross. And he makes it so easy for us. So there is no excuse. Admit first that you're a sinner, and that's pretty easy. You probably think of 10 things today that broke God's law. Believe Jesus is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. Jesus is God, 
and he can save you from your sins. Call out to him and ask for forgiveness. The price has been paid. I'm Laura Lee Siemens. For more podcast videos and blogs, check out my website at lauraleesiemens.com. 